Good evening and welcome to Point of View. I'm Chris Berg. Thank you so much for joining us here on this Friday evening. We're going to start with obviously the big news that broke late last night. I'm sure you've heard by now, but that is that uh, President Trump and our incredible First Lady, they have tested positive for COVID-19. They've begun the quarantine process. The latest news that we have is that President Trump is experiencing a fever, uh, congestion, and some cough, which is that just doesn't happen to President Trump. If you watch some old interviews with Donald Trump Jr. and whatnot, they always talk about they've never seen their dad with a fever. They've never seen him with a cold. So I bring all that up because I'm just asking you tonight for you, anyone you know, just please put up some prayers for our president and the first lady to be safe and sound and for a very, very speedy recovery. We'll see what this means, obviously, for President Trump and uh, the campaign and running the nation. The good news is, is that Vice President Mike Pence and our second lady have tested negative. So they are negative. So that's good news. Also good news, um, Joe and Jill Biden went and got tested as well. They both came back with negative tests, too. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to see that when your president ends up testing positive, knowing that he's in an age bracket, got a little bit extra weight for him. That has been a, a tough um, it's been a tough disease for people that are above 70 years old, President Trump being 74. So his prayers, I know, your prayers, I should say, will be very, very much appreciated. I want to talk about one more thing quickly here because we've got a great conversation coming up. Um, Senator Kramer did a Zoom like media presser earlier today. We're going to share some of that with you. But many of you have also been reaching out to me and saying, hey, Chris, I'm, I'm, I'm getting these, these ballots that I didn't think I you know, wanted or didn't sign up for here in North Dakota, what in the world's going on? So I just want to give you some, some clarity and some certainty here, folks. There's no funny business going on. Uh, when you went to go get your absentee ballot for the primary, what many of you may have done and just didn't think about or didn't realize it, but you can see here where there's a check mark by that statewide or all statewide box. And so what that was saying is that um, you're going to have the same address, for both the primary and the general, and that you basically were saying to the Secretary of State, hey, please send me out an absentee ballot for the primary and the general. So that may be you. You can go check that out just to verify for yourself if you want. But if you find yourself getting, as President Trump would say, an unsolicited ballot from the North Dakota Secretary of State, you actually may have already solicited it. You just didn't know it because you just checked the box. And as most of us, we don't you know, read all the fine print on certain things. So just do yourself a favor. Hopefully that gives you a sense of calm that um, many of you were insinuating that maybe there's some funny business happening here in North Dakota. And if you end up checking that box, then um, everything is A-OK. All right. Earlier today, Senator Kevin Kramer held like a media presser via Zoom. So the the video here is good. It's not perfect, but it's good. But the content is fantastic because basically what Senator Kramer talked about was his meeting yesterday with Judge Amy Coney Barrett. We all know she's up for the Supreme Court nomination. Those hearings are going to be taking place very, very soon. But some really, really good stuff. Just talking about his conversation with her. Um, talking about Roe v. Wade and the conversation he had about that with her, as well as the Affordable Care Act and much, much more. It's kind of right in the in almost the normal range for a lot of previous um, Supreme Court justices, including, by the way, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I think from from nomination to confirmation for her was something like 43, 44 days, something like that, which is about what this is going to end up being, maybe a little shorter. There have been some that have been actually shorter. Uh, I, I think one of the reasons that um, President Trump 
chose and nominated uh, Judge uh, Coney Barrett was because she's already been vetted. She has spent three years on an appellate court. She's been through the confirmation process and, the, and the, both the FBI background check and the uh, intense vetting that goes into an uh, appellate court is very similar to uh, a nominee for the Supreme Court. So a lot of that work's already been done. The other thing is, is that most of the senators that uh, serve today, not me, not, not included, but most of the other senators um, have, already, have already voted on her. Uh, for the for the uh, the circuit court, as you can tell, I mean I'm very supportive. I, I think she, uh, I, th I was supportive from the minute she was announced, and partly because back kind of back to the the previous question, partly because she's not unknown. Now I had not met her before, um, but uh, I, you know we, we all remember when she was nominated. She's been um, one of the the stars. She was considered in the in the, the Justice Kavanaugh. Um, opening or, or the uh, you know that opening that Justice Kavanaugh filled, so she you know she's a pretty well known. So I've been supportive, but um, I've not said how I'm going to vote, and and the reason is more this: it's more out of respect for the process, and uh, and I'm not a big you know religious process guy. I don't think that would surprise anybody, but out of respect for my colleagues on the Judiciary Committee who will have the opportunity to drill down deeper, obviously, and frankly, out of respect to the people of North Dakota who will be able to watch that process play out. They'll be able to watch her answer the questions, um, whether they watch it live or tape or read about it, but, but we all get to participate in this incredible a system of ours where self-governance really is available for people who will exercise it. So I, I, I tend not to, well, I prefer not to state my position because there could be something that comes up between now and the floor vote. And if, if there is something that would have to either come up in, in further background checks that, you know, haven't, something hasn't been seen before, or perhaps in either how she handles the, the, uh, the answers to the questions or some revelation during, um, during that process. That's not to say you can't change your mind, but I just think out of respect for my colleagues on the Judiciary Committee and the process and the, the people of North Dakota, I'll reserve my final judgment until uh, after the hearings are completed. With regard to Roe v. Wade, I'm not sure that she's, I don't know of her, of her statement specifically Roe v. Wade. She's clearly a, a pro-life Christian woman and who believes that um, the taking of human life is is wrong and is barbaric. But uh, that said, with regard to Roe v. Wade, I've not heard her comment specifically on it. Uh, that's why my focus was more on states' rights. Roe v. Wade, in several, in many respects, um, removed states' rights with with some very rather gymnastics type of um, of litigating. Um, that said. Roe, even Roe v. Wade, if it was overturned, doesn't remove every woman's right to to an abortion. Certainly, Roe v. Wade makes it a constitutional right to, to be able to have one. But if it returns power back to states, uh, you, you know, you'd, have, you'd still have states that would uh, outlaw abortion, and, and most states probably wouldn't and still would probably provide it. In, in the case of North Dakota, we have one abortion clinic in Fargo. I suspect that if Roe v. Wade was overturned, it would move to Moorhead, and uh, they'd have the exact same clientele. I, I do think um, from, from a, the life standpoint, and I'm very pro-life, Tanner, as you know, and I think everybody on this call knows, um, and I don't apologize for that. I think it's really as much as anything incumbent upon Congress and states to continue to find pro-life legislation, legislation that will actually save the lives of people, um, particularly the, the unborn. But I think there are others as well. I, I think we have to protect all vulnerable people. 
and find legislation that can pass um, pass legal muster and constitutional muster. I, I think, for example, late-term abortion is one where the science and the me medical advancements have demonstrated that a that a baby that is uh, you know 20 months or or longer um, is viable, and uh, let's protect that life under the existing constitution and constitution and, and, and laws and, and legal framework to overturn uh, you know an ultimate supreme court decision of course does require uh, some differences you have to be able to find new information and and make a different case and um you know i'd love i'd, I'd love to find a way to um save more babies and save more lives um, but whether it's roe v wade or something else uh, i think there are other ways that are probably more effective I did vote against um, Chuck Schumer's very political uh, amendment or, or bill where he wanted to hamstring the Department of Justice. In fact, his, his, his bill is so bad, it presumes that the Affordable Care Act is perfect and that, that nothing can ever be challenged in it ever again by the Department of Justice. Well, that's obviously crazy, and, and it was a stunt to try, and get a, to try to get a messaging vote. But the night before, interestingly, uh, every Democrat voted to table Senator Tillis's amendment that would have would have guaranteed going forward in law that um, any replacement has to uh, has to respect and honor um, coverage for pre-existing conditions. So on the one hand, they say, you know, the whole ACA is perfect and, and the federal government should never be able to um, change it. And the Department of Justice, Justice should not participate in a helpful way in overturning parts of it and remembering that the case that you're referencing is going to be focused on one part of the of the affordable care act um to to senator tillis's bill the night before amendment the night before um that they tried to table where the one thing that's the most popular and the most important is the protection of people with pre-existing conditions they all voted uh against pre-existing conditions so uh, Hypocrisy is rich in Washington. It's on. It's in. Uh, it's with. A, it has a bullet when it comes to the, being this close to an election. So uh, the, the other thing that's interesting. Obviously, this was aimed at trying to muddle the issue of the Supreme Court nominee in the first place and, and Judge Barrett. And there's a presumption that Judge Barrett was out of some sort of uh, um, loyalty to Donald Trump would vote to overturn the ACA. And there's nothing that would imply that in any way, shape, or form. She certainly has not answered any questions to that effect. She would, you know, she can't, she can't uh, prejudge a case. So um, again, I think it's just an attempt to, to create some chaos and distraction and detraction away from the real issue. The, the, really the angle that I was coming at with, uh, with her is one that has been paramount in, in my mind. In fact, I think it was former Justice uh, John Marshall who once said that federalism is the, uh, the question that quote perpetually or is perpetually arising before us and uh and he suggested that it will probably arise as long as we have this system well this system of course is the system of um of a republic the the uh the greatest system the greatest experiment in governing in the world and that is one where um sovereign states trying to form a more perfect union created a uh, first articles of confederation and then of course a constitution that created a federal government. And I, I stress it in that order because I think we oftentimes forget, I'm not even so sure it's well taught in schools anymore, but um, states existed before the federal government and states created a federal government and they created that federal government to be um, a partner 
not to be uh, the boss. They create, and states are not to be the subordinate to the federal government, although there is a doctrine, of course, uh, a supremacy doctrine that's relevant in those areas where the federal government by our constitution are given very specific explicit um, responsibilities. Not very many of them, as you know. Um, but out of all of this discussion, of course, came, comes the 10th uh, the Amendment and, and, uh, and some other pretty important doctrines in the Constitution. But it all stems from this notion, this ideal, this exceptionalism that is the fact that we are self-governed people. And self-governed people uh, work best with the government that's closest to them. And in the case of our federalist system, it's, uh, it's states. So uh, North Dakota is without a doubt... Um, probably one of the best laboratories of democracy of the 50 states. We're, we're activists in terms of our, our local policy. We elect more people than pretty much any state. We have several layers of government, including townships, school boards, park boards, um, obviously municipalities, counties, and then, of course, the, the state. And uh, they're not all the same, but our founders in North Dakota created layers of local government because they didn't trust big government. So we're, we're, kind of, um, we're kind of ground zero when it comes to federalism. And that, of course, is, expresses itself in lots of ways, not the least of which is particular, particular federal state issues like waters of the U.S., definition of navigable waters, something that has gone to the Supreme Court and back twice. And uh, most recently, of course, um, the Obama waters of the U.S. rule, which North Dakota and, and uh, Attorney General Wayne Stendham successfully sued on and, um, and has been remanded back. And we're, we're trying to find that definition that meets the demands of the Constitution. And, um, and so I think that's, that's sort of one of the landmark bigger issues, but there are a whole host of other issues, things like, you know, there's the federal government, there's the state government control the water in the Missouri River. Constitution says state government. The Corps of Engineers thinks the federal government. Um, you know, issues like uh, the death penalty. Some states have death penalty, some states don't have the death penalty. That was a common question, that an example that was raised by Judge Barrett with me uh, yesterday. And so I, I challenged her on her views of federalism, her views of the state. She answered it beautifully, as you might uh, imagine. She said flat out that um, states are critical, to, to quote her, states, the states are critical to federalism. And that may seem obvious, but it's not obvious to everybody, evidently, especially not obvious to the bureaucracy. But what, what do we do about this bureaucracy that ignores not just congressional intent? Uh, Thank you so much, Senator Kramer. Great stuff, as always, from him. We'd love to know your point of view, what you heard that in the conversation there. And just anything we've talked about here in this opening segment, because when we come back, we're going to have a special conversation with somebody from the Fargo Police Department. Very easy to share your point of view with us. You can email us, text us, leave us a voicemail. We'll be right back. <laughs> 